0: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the MBLEX Test Prep Podcast. I am David, your host, on this wonderful journey where we discuss the massage and bodywork licensing exam. We discuss the information that you could possibly see on the exam. We go over a test question. I help you break down this test question, try to help you figure out how to uh, get this question right, etc., etc. So before we begin, I do need to mention I do have study guides available. Just visit my website, mblextestprep.com. You can uh, order a a study guide there. Uh, I do have one specifically designed for the mblex. I also have a guide that has 10 practice tests in it and pre-made flashcards that all you have to do is cut out. And those are really helpful. And I also have another book called Kinesiology Made Easy. Uh, a quick guide to musculoskeletal anatomy. So if you have a kinesiology class coming up or need a refresher on a lot of that stuff, that is definitely the book to get uh, full color photos in that book. Trust me, it's beautiful. I love it. So I'm sure you will too. So before we begin, um, again, my, my name is David. I am um, I, I am the owner of Mblex Test Prep I've been preparing students to take the MBLEX or licensing exams for uh, several years now so i like to think i know what i'm doing so strap yourself in and we are about to get started (music) welcome back All right, let's get started on today's topic. Uh, Today's topic, we're going to talk about um, kyphosis, lordosis, and scoliosis. And the differences between all three of those, what causes each one of those to happen, and things that you could possibly do to help a client that uh, might be might present with any of these conditions. So we'll start with our basic medical terms. Now, medical terminology is one of those things that you should definitely know, uh, and that, that can help you break down these terms to help you remember which is which. Okay, so we'll start with kyphosis. The word root kypho means hill. So it, uh, just, just imagine a person laying uh, prone, person laying prone, and their back, it looks like they have a big hill at the top of their back. That's where kypho comes from, makes it look like a hill. So kyphosis gives you that hunchback appearance, looks like a, a big hill on on the back. Okay. Uh, osis, of course, means uh, uh, condition, it, I mean, there are a lot of uh, definitions for osis, but the main one that you need to know is condition. So Hill condition is kyphosis. Lordosis, the word root lordo, means curve. So if you look at someone, if someone's standing um, to the side, you're looking at someone uh, from from the side, it would look like their lumbar vertebrae is curved in way too far, which it is. So that is why it's called lordosis. Scoliosis, scolio, uh, the, ter- the term scolio, now uh, some people might confuse it with sclero, you know, it's a little different than sclero. Scolio means crooked. So if you are looking at someone from behind, you're looking at their vertebrae, or especially an x ray, if you can see an x ray of somebody with scoliosis, you can definitely see this. Uh, it, their vertebrae does look crooked. It, it goes off to the side, which is definitely not good. You don't want that. So those are the those are the word roots that make up those terms. Again, you learn those word roots, and they can help you remember the terms. Even if you it, just off the top of your head, you can't remember what kyphosis is. If you know the word root kypho means hill, just think. Oh, oh, yeah, the, the back kind of looks like a hill, so it's a hypercurvature in the thoracic region. So that is one of the best ways to remember anything, especially pathology-related. Make sure you know your medical terms for pathology. So since we're discussing diseases today, definitely, definitely important. All right, so let's begin with kyphosis. Now, I just kind of mentioned it. Kyphosis is a hypercurvature of the thoracic vertebrae. So hypercurvature, how, how, the, how the vertebrae, excuse me, <laughs> as my mouth decides not to work, that tends to happen a lot, doesn't it? The vertebrae has four main curvatures in it. Two of those curvatures are lordotic and two are kyphotic. The curvature in the cervical region of the vertebrae and the curvature in the lumbar region of the vertebrae are called lordotic curves. That's a curve that goes anteriorly. So if you're looking at uh, someone from the side, kind of like you would if you're looking at someone with lordosis, uh, you're going to look for that curvature in that region to go towards the front. Towards the front. Right. So it's kind of like the Adam's apple sticking out. If it sticks out more, you might have more of a curvature in the cervical region. Now, the lumbar region, kind of the same thing. That curvature goes towards the front anteriorly. Kyphotic curves go posteriorly. So if you're looking at someone from the side, a curve, the the part of the vertebrae that sticks out towards the back is going to be a kyphotic curve. So again, those, those are kind of where lordosis and kyphosis get their name, uh, why they're specifically called lordosis and kyphosis all has to do with the curvature so kyphosis hypercurvature of the thoracic vertebrae so the thoracic vertebrae uh you know it has that normal curve kind of kind of rounds the back just a little bit kyphosis causes it to round way more than it should so uh quasimodo the hunchback of notre dame uh chances are he had kyphosis um you think about it now there are a lot of reasons somebody may develop kyphosis Uh, kyphosis can be a kind of a secondary condition associated with other things such as ankylosing spondylitis now with ankylosing spondylitis uh, i'm I'm not sure if i've discussed this before ankylosing spondylitis is an autoimmune disorder where the body's immune system attacks the intervertebral discs causes them to degenerate And when that happens, eventually you start to lose the curvature in your vertebrae or lose the space in between the vertebrae um, that produces the curvature. So that, so you kind of have vertebrae, especially in the lumbar region, you have those vertebrae just kind of sitting on top of each other and that's not good. And that can cause some, a lot of pain. Every time you move those vertebrae, it's like the bone grinds against uh, another bone. Definitely a little painful. So when you lose all those discs, uh, you start to, the, the curvature in the, in the thoracic region becomes much more pronounced. So you'll kind of see the back look uh, a lot, uh, the curvature goes out a lot more, the head kind of drops down because you don't have the, the discs holding the vertebrae up in place. So that's, that's an example of why kyphosis may happen. Uh, it could be associated with a disease like ankylosing spondylitis, where those discs degenerate. It could be as a result of hypertonic muscles. Now think about that condition for a sec. What muscles do you think might be hypertonic too tight? What muscles might be too tight that are causing a hypercurvature in the thoracic region? Now I'm looking for muscles that could potentially roll the shoulders anteriorly towards the front. That's called protraction or abduction of the scapulae, bringing them closer together towards the front. Now we gotta think about muscles that do that specific action. When if if we get a question asking which muscle is responsible for kyphosis due to hypertonicity or something along those lines, we gotta know which muscles perform that action. So what muscles? I'm looking for two muscles specifically. What muscles do you think protract or abduct the scapulae? Bring them forward. Again, two muscles specifically. So we, we've got one muscle that inserts onto the coracoid process and originates on ribs three, four, and five. So it starts on, on ribs three, four, and five, goes up to the coracoid process, and when that contracts, pulls the scapula forward. It's a muscle of the chest. It is pec minor. So if pec minor is too tight, it can pull the scapula forward into abduction or protraction. So that could be a muscle involved. We've also got another muscle that could potentially contribute to protraction. I mean, not as much as pec minor, but it can also contribute. So this muscle originates on ribs 1 through 8 or 9. On some people it's 8, on some people it's 9. And this muscle inserts onto the medial border of the scapula. So think about muscles that attach to your ribs. It's not the intercostals. I know some of you were thinking it, not the intercostals. And then that muscle comes all the way up on the anterior side of the scapula and attaches to the medial border of the scapula. When that contracts, it pulls the scapula forward. Some people call it the boxer's muscle because it's the, the muscle that helps you, really helps you, protract the scapula when you are throwing a punch, give you a longer reach. And it's named after what it looks like. It kind of looks like a knife, specific type of knife, a knife that has serrated edges. So this muscle is serratus anterior. So those two muscles definitely can contribute to the development of kyphosis. They round the shoulders, they protract or abduct the scapula. So what what would you possibly do to help a client that has kyphosis as a result of those hypertonic muscles? Seems like, you know, a a pretty logical thing to do would be to stretch them out or to massage them to potentially help loosen those muscles. You get those muscles to loosen up and that can help the shoulders return to their natural position, which can possibly reduce the amount of curvature, hypercurvature. So that is kyphosis. Kyphosis, hypercurvature of the thoracic vertebrae. Now kyphosis can can cause some pain, uh, difficulty breathing, because it kind of does put a bit of pressure on the chest. I mean, I I wouldn't feel comfortable like that. So definitely definitely something that, that a client would need help with. Some people the kyphosis is so bad it's Very uncomfortable for them to lay supine on the table. So, side-lying position might be the best choice, the best course of action for that specific client. It all depends on the comfortability uh, of your client. If your client is comfortable laying on their back with kyphosis, then, you know, go with it. If not, uh, side-lying is what you definitely want to do. So another name, almost forgot to mention this, another name for kyphosis is dowager's hump. D-O-W-A-G-E-R apostrophe S hump. Dowager's hump. And don't ask me why, I don't know the reason why. So another fun, fun fact about kyphosis, this is really important, you should probably know this, because of that hypercurvature of the thoracic vertebrae, it can lead to what's called flat back in the lumbar in the lumbar region where there, it, it's, it kind of straightens out the curvature in the lumbar vertebrae because everything's being stretched out in the thoracic region so that is that is definitely um, not good You definitely, you want a curvature in your lumbar vertebrae we were designed a specific way to walk upright the curvatures are there to help support the body, support weight, evenly distribute weight. Uh, so when you lose that curvature, same thing happens in your cervical vertebrae. And we're seeing it a lot more these days. Uh, people constantly looking down at you know cell phones and computers and stuff. And I'm just as guilty as anybody anybody else uh, of doing that. But um, you know, the, we lose those curvatures, then our body starts to compensate in other ways to support things like the head or the torso, uh, it's it's definitely not good. So you want that curvature. So Kyphosis may lead to the development of flat back and a loss of curvature in the lumbar region, which is definitely not good. So if your client has kyphosis, try to relax those muscles. See if you can loosen them up a little bit. Alright, so we're done with kyphosis. Let's talk about lordosis. So lordo means curve, right? Lordosis is a hypercurvature of the lumbar vertebrae. So if you're looking for an easy way to remember uh, which region of the vertebral column is involved in lordosis versus kyphosis, just match up the L in lordosis with the L in lumbar. That's probably the easiest way to do it. So lordosis uh, is a hypercurvature of the lumbar vertebrae. Another name for lordosis is swayback. Okay. So a lordotic curve again moves anteriorly. So if we have hypercurvature, the lordotic uh, the lordotic curve in the lumbar region becomes way more pronounced. So it kind of looks like somebody might be sticking their belly out or something like that. Now this can happen. You know, for a lot of different reasons. Uh, people that are pregnant may develop lordosis during pregnancy, because you got all that extra weight kind of pulling down in that region. People that are overweight unfortunately uh, may develop that. Um, it's, it's not just carrying the extra weight either that's necessarily the cause of it in somebody that might be overweight. Um, there is a specific muscle that might be too weak that is causing lordosis. Now this muscle attaches to the xiphoid process and the pubis. So when this muscle is tight, it'll pull the the pelvis, shift it posteriorly where it should be. But if this muscle is weak, other muscles start to kind of overpower it and shift the pelvis anteriorly. And shifting of the pelvis anteriorly, I think of the, the anterior superior iliac spine, the, the points of your hips right there. And think of those kind of shifting more towards the front. So you're gonna go kind of, kind of at a diagonal angle when they shift like that. And that's gonna put a lot of pressure on the lumbar vertebrae and cause the lumbar vertebrae to shift anteriorly as well. So what muscle might be too weak that could potentially cause lordosis? Again, this muscle attaches to the xiphoid process. and attaches to the pelvis, specifically the pubic symphysis and the pubic crest. That's where it originates. This muscle is the rectus abdominis. So if the rectus abdominis is too weak, it can start to stretch out and result in an anterior tilt of the pelvis, which can result in lordosis. Now sometimes the rectus abdominis is fine, its tone, it's 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 got, um, you know, it it's not weak. There are other muscles that might be too tight, however, that overpower the rectus abdominis. So one of these muscles actually originates on the anterior surface of the lumbar vertebrae, and then inserts down onto the lesser trochanter on the femur. So think about muscles that originate on the anterior surface of the lumbar vertebrae and then go down onto the lesser trochanter of the femur. This muscle joins with another muscle that originates in the iliac fossa. So if both of these muscles are too tight, it'll definitely shift the pelvis anteriorly and contribute to uh, hypercurvature of the lumbar vertebrae. So the muscle that originates on the anterior surface of the lumbar vertebrae is the psoas major. The muscle that originates in the iliac fossa is iliacus. And both of those muscles come together and insert onto the lesser trochanter of the femur. Sometimes that muscle, uh, you should definitely know this, sometimes that muscle is called the iliopsoas. So it's the iliacus and the psoas together. Those come together to form the uh, iliopsoas. So if those muscles, which does happen a lot, if those muscles are too tight, those definitely contribute to the development of lordosis. Now there is another muscle in the low back, named after its shape, that also can contribute to the development of lordosis. This muscle has... Four sides, I mean, that should give it away right there, four sides. This muscle is quadratus lumborum. So quadratus lumborum attaches to the iliac crest. So if that's tight, it can also contribute in shifting the pelvis anteriorly. Okay, so kind of like uh, kyphosis, what do you think we should do as massage therapists if a client presents with lordosis? Now, personally, I might try to loosen the psoas major, do some psoas stretches. Uh, there's a really good soas stretch you can do. You can, you, it's easier if you can see it. Uh, ask your instructor to uh, show it to you. Your client basically hangs one leg off the, They're laying um, uh, supine. They're laying supine with one leg hanging off the table. Basically, all you do is push down on their thigh And that contributes to stretching out the psoas major. And they'll definitely be able to feel it. And it's it's a good stretch for the quads as well, uh, rectus femoris at least. So I would try to loosen up psoas major. I would massage iliacus. I would massage quadratus lumborum, try to stretch those out. And then I might recommend that my clients do some ab strengthening exercises. If the rectus abdominis is weak, and that's what's causing the lordosis, strengthening strengthening that muscle should theoretically shift the pelvis back posteriorly into the position it needs to be. And that can take away a lot of the pain and discomfort that somebody may experience when they have lordosis. Okay, let's talk about scoliosis. So we've got kyphosis, hypercurvature of the thoracic vertebrae, lordosis, hypercurvature of the lumbar vertebrae, then we have scoliosis, which is a hypercurvature. Here's, Here's where it gets tricky. It is a hypercurvature in the thoracic vertebrae forcing the vertebrae Laterally. Okay, so it's, you, you got to be like, you got to be specific when you're thinking about these. Uh... This is why I, I always preach, read every single word and every single question. If you get a question about scoliosis, you want to make sure you're not confusing it with kyphosis. Because the curvature does occur in the same region, it just moves the vertebrae in a different direction. Okay, so scoliosis moves the thoracic vertebrae laterally, to the side. where kyphosis moves it posteriorly or dorsally to the back. So there are a lot of different reasons that somebody may develop scoliosis. A lot of them are are kind of unknown. It could be something that just naturally happens in somebody and unfortunately that that does happen uh, once in a while. Um, I read a story about uh, a teenager, this was back in the day. Long time ago, when I first started teaching, a teenager—I think she was 16 at the time—she uh, had really, really bad scoliosis, uh, and she had corrective surgery done. They put metal rods in her back, and uh, afterwards, she was a couple inches taller. It was, it was pretty incredible. So, scoliosis is usually pretty mild. It's—it's it's not severe enough to warrant getting metal rods put in your back uh, but when when the when the curvature when the lateral curvature becomes too much, uh, too big it can put a lot of strain on the ribs it can alter your breathing it, it, it can be definitely painful alter your gait uh, just lots of bad stuff can happen with uh, scoliosis in severe forms so one hip could possibly be higher than the other again that would alter gait and uh, just not not fun so one of the one of the main things that we know can cause scoliosis is a hypertonic rhomboids on one side unilaterally now if they're both tight if, if both sets of rhomboids are tight um, bilaterally it's not going to force the vertebrae in either direction because you got those muscles kind of fighting against each other on both sides. But if one side of the body, the rhomboids on, like let's say the right side of the body, the rhomboids on the right side, if those are tight, then they can pull the vertebrae laterally because of how tight they are. That's not good. So what would you possibly do for somebody Uh, that has scoliosis as a result of tight rhomboid major and rhomboid minor. Seems to me I would just massage those muscles, try to get those loosened up. See if that helps reset the vertebrae into their natural position. Now, of course, you're not going to get the vertebrae back in place. Most likely, you're not going to be able to get the vertebrae back where they need to be after one massage this it's something if it's to that point where somebody has developed scoliosis as a result of a tight muscle one massage probably not going to fix the issue so it's going to take multiple sessions working with that client working on those muscles and self-care you gotta tell your clients to to do self-care and make sure you follow up with them So ask them have you been doing this have you been doing this Uh, and if no Definitely drill into their head how important it is. If they want, uh, if they want their their pain or discomfort to go away, they need to actually put in some work and not just rely on you. Because you you only work with them for an hour, hour and a half at a time, right? So they got to do some work for themselves. So definitely stress that. Definitely important uh, that your client does self care in the meantime. So if, 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 a, if the scoliosis is too severe, uh, the person might need braces, uh, you know, a back brace to reset the vertebrae, get them where they need to be. And again, uh, implantation of metal rods in the back is also an option if it's bad enough. Um, and uh, you should definitely go on YouTube. Check out, um, uh, what's it called? Adolescent scoliosis surgery, I, I think it's, it's been a while since I've seen it, but you can actually see them cut open the back, uh, align the vertebrae where they need to be, and then actually put the rods in the back, and they, they drill screws into each vertebrae, and then they put this big rod in the back, uh, one rod on each side, depending on you know how severe the, the curvature is hypercurvature and that kind of resets the uh, the vertebrae back where it needs to be and and reduces discomfort. I mean it sucks you have to have metal rods put in your back but probably better choice than walking around uh, with a lot of pain and discomfort. So those are those are the three conditions we just talked about. Kyphosis, lordosis, scoliosis. So now you know the difference between the three. So again, the easy way to remember lordosis, match up the L in lordosis with the L in lumbar. Uh, Definitely make sure you remember the muscles that are involved in each one of those conditions and how to potentially work on them. All right, so we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, question of the week. Stay with us. It is now time for Question question, question of the Week, uh, where I talk about a test question that you may or may not potentially see on the MBLEX. Uh, all of these questions, of course, written by me. I, I don't know what you're going to see on the MBLEX. I make no guarantees that you'll see any of these questions on the MBLEX. Uh, just helping you get more information, teach you how to take these uh, test questions and potentially get them correct, uh, even if you don't see it on the test, it's still important to go over this stuff. So, question of the week. Here we go. Substance produced by the liver which aids in the digestion of lipids. A, bile. B, vitamin A. C, insulin. D, glucagon. So let's read that one more time. Substance produced by the liver, which aids in the digestion of lipids. A, bile. B, vitamin A. C, insulin. D, glucagon. Okay, so let's talk about the importance of eliminating answers. Figuring out which answer it can't be can help you figure out which answer it can be. Now, of course, I, I already know the answer to this question. Like I said, I wrote it and I just I just know the information. So let's let's start with the, the questions that are the answers that I want to eliminate. So I'm looking in the in the last podcast episode we talked about identifying our keywords, right? Our keywords tell us everything we need to know about the question. So, substance produced by the liver. Liver is our keyword, which aids in the digestion of lipids. That's another keyword. So, those are our two keywords. Substance produced by the liver that helps with the digestion of lipids. So, looking at, at these substances, I know at least two of them have nothing to do with lipids. And I know at least two of them aren't produced by the liver. Okay, so let's talk about insulin. Insulin is produced by the pancreas. It is made by beta cells in the pancreas. The uh, insulin helps to regulate the amount of sugar that we have in our body. It helps to break down sugar, right? That has nothing to do with lipids. What I mean? What are lipids? Think of liposuction. What are you sucking out of the body in a liposuction? It's fat. So lipids are fat. Insulin has nothing to do with breaking down fat. And it's produced by the pancreas, not the liver. So I can already eliminate that one. Let's talk about glucagon. Glucagon helps to break down carbohydrates into sugar. Again, has nothing to do with fat. Glucagon is also produced by the pancreas. Alpha cells produce glucagon, in the pancreas. So just right there, I've eliminated two answers. Two answers that have nothing to do with either the liver or lipids. So what? why do we want to eliminate answers? Like I said, it can help us figure out the answer that it can be. And the way it does that is by taking away choices that That we don't need. So basically, when we start with four choices, we have a 25% chance of getting that question right. If we are able to eliminate two of those and say, well, it can't be this one because of this, and it can't be this one because of this, that takes our chance of getting that question right all the way up to 50%. And that's a lot, uh, those odds are a lot better than 25%. So you have a one in two chance of getting it right compared to a one in four chance. So getting rid of insulin, getting rid of glucagon, I'm left with A, bile, or B, vitamin A. So let's read the question again. Substance produced by the liver, which aids in the digestion of lipids? The answer is A, bile. So bile is produced by the liver. It does help to um, break down lipids. It, It... We call it emulsification. It helps to emulsificate fats or lipids, breaks them down. So when the liver produces bile, it empties bile into the gallbladder. The gallbladder stores the bile until it's ready to enter into the main digestive tract. So it empties into the digestive digestive tract, into the duodenum, which is the first part of the small intestine. And it's there where the final stages of digestion actually take place. So that's when, uh, you know, the stomach has already mostly digested that food, then it enters the small intestine, then it just kind of cleans it up. It's like, okay, we got a little bit of digestion left. Got to break down those fats, those lipids uh, a little bit. That's where that takes place. Then the food moves on into the jejunum, where most of the nutrients are absorbed into the bloodstream and distributed all over the body. All right, so the answer is A, bile. So if you ever throw up, like let's say uh, I'm I'm I've been known to vomit a time or two in my life, especially if I've had too my too many um, daddy sodas. <laughs> well, we'll just say that. Um, now sometimes you just puke and puke and puke, and there's nothing left, right? eventually you puke and you get a, like a really sour, I mean, even more sour than, than usual, a really sour, bitter taste in your mouth. That's bile. So you have basically, you emptied your stomach, and if you are still vomiting, you're going to pull bile out of your small intestine through your stomach, through your esophagus, and out your mouth. Like that's, that's a lot of puke. man. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, bile. So bile, bile, the only time bile enters the stomach is if you are vomiting. Uh, so substance produced by the liver, which aids in the digestion of lipids, A, bile. So remember to try to eliminate answers like we just did in this test question. Remember, we eliminated insulin because it's produced by the pancreas. We, we eliminated glucagon because it's produced by the pancreas. Neither of them break down fat or lipids. They only have to do with sugar. And that just about wraps up this episode of the MBLEX Test Prep Podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in. Hopefully you learned something. Remember, I do have study guides available. Uh, Just visit MblexTestprep.com for those. If you have purchased any of my study guides, please consider leaving a review of them on Amazon.com. I'm just one guy trying to make a living out here. Reviews go a long way towards helping me make a living for my family providing for my family, um, and I really, really appreciate it. It's it's hard out there um, trying, to make, trying to make a living on your own, so any help I can get, I really appreciate. Uh, make sure you follow me on Facebook, uh, facebook.com. Just search for MLEX Test Prep. Um, I don't do Twitter very much. Jeez, uh, uh, where else can you find me? I don't know. Uh, I'm around. You'll find me. Until next time, This is David with the Inblex Test Prep Podcast saying, uh, geez, what do I want to say? Goodbye.